This is Talk of the Nation. I'm Neil Conan in Washington. You buy a lottery ticket or hope for a rich relative to die, sure that cash is your key to happiness. You flip through Williams-Sonoma catalogs or Martha by mail, dreaming, if only I had a few very good things to decorate my home, my life would be better, and maybe a new home to go with it. Not so, says psychologist and professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Martin Seligman. As one of the founders of the positive psychology movement, he spent the better part of his career trying to swim upstream against the current of most psychological analysis that focuses on our problems. Seligman says if we focus instead on our strengths, we can teach ourselves to live a more productive, more meaningful life to blossom. He also suggests that it's the, uh, that it, uh, that it's in fact the psychoanalysts' focus on our individual problems that perpetuates wallowing in our pain instead of emphasizing what's positive in our lives. And while this might seem to be a philosophy designed for a prosperous, peaceful time, Seligman argues that it applies as much or more in difficult times like those we're in now. Sure, you say we've all read prescriptions for success and happiness. Sure, fire formulas for happiness and fulfillment. This is different. How? Skeptics, advocates, and the curious are invited to join the conversation. If focusing on happiness isn't the trick to a better life, what do you suggest? Or does this silver bullet sound a little too good to you to be true? Our number here in Washington is eight hundred nine eight nine eight two five five. That's eight hundred nine eight nine talk. And our email address is totn at npr dot org. Martin Seligman joins us now from member station WHYY to explain the ideas expressed in his latest book, Authentic Happiness: Using the New Positive Psychology to Realize Your Potential for Lasting Fulfillment. And uh, Martin Seligman, welcome to Talk of the Nation. Thank you, Neil. Hello. Hello. Uh, can you uh, by, begin by explaining the guiding principles of positive psychology? Well, it starts with three notorious misconceptions of our commonplace view of of happiness. The first is that somehow, out of getting rid of our bad feeling, out of getting rid of depression, anxiety, anger, happiness emerges. But what emerges, even when we're asymptotically successful as therapists, getting rid of bad feeling, is emptiness, zero. The uh, second misconception is that happiness comes from externals, from money and climate and power. And the third misconception, the worst of all, there's only one kind of happiness. In my view, there are three very common and very different roads to a satisfactory life. The first is the pleasant life, which is our usual conception of happiness. The second is the good life, a life of flow, immersion, absorption. And the third is the meaningful life, a life in which you use what's best inside you in the service of something larger than you are. We're going to get to a, a broader discussion of those uh, three approaches uh, uh, in a few minutes. But I, I wanted to ask you first, what's the science behind this? Well, there are three different domains in which, for the last five years, a great deal of scientific activity has taken place. The first is in, in the domain of positive emotion, the questions of how does it uh, differ from nation to nation, what is the effect of wealth on positive emotion, what is the effect of being an optimizer on positive emotion, and the like. The second is the beginning of a catalog of strengths and virtues, a uh, the un-DSM of psychology. The DSM? DSM is psychiatry's list of all the diseases, but we've never had a consensus in a way to diagnose the strengths and the virtues, the tests for it, 
how they're enabled, what the sex ratio is. So the second science behind this is a diagnostic manual of the strengths and virtues and a large and growing scientific understanding of valor, of wisdom, of spirituality, and the like. And the third is the science underlying positive institutions. That is, so much of social science is about the negative institutions, about racism and sexism and ageism. We haven't had until the last five to ten years the beginnings of scientific understanding of the positive institutions, like free press and democracy and strong family. So those are the three scientific domains of positive psychology. And would those uh, scientific groundings, would that in your mind be what distinguishes this, uh, uh, your book from, from uh, the pop psychology books that I was mentioning earlier? Uh, yes. So this is based on hundreds of doctoral dissertations, thousand or more articles, and uh, a great deal of research. This is not armchair speculation. I, I do have to ask you, though, you have a happiness formula in the book. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I get pretty skeptical when I see somebody saying they have a formula uh, for happiness, a mathematical formula. Well, there's one formula in the book, and it basically says that your general level of happiness is a function of the circumstances in which you live and the decisions that you make about strength and virtue. Okay. Um, let me ask you a little bit about, uh, to expand on those three levels of happiness that you were talking about before, and I guess the first one was the pleasant life. The pleasant life consists in getting as many of the pleasures as you can and having the skills to amplify them. So let, let me give you examples of what I mean, Neil. Uh, I divide the positive emotions into three domains, positive emotions about the past, serenity and contentment, positive emotions about the future, optimism and hope, and the positive emotions about the present, which are the pleasures. What we know about the first, serenity and contentment, is that there are two techniques that have been documented that enhance it. One is gratitude, which increases the positivity amplifies the positivity of past good events, and the other is forgiveness, which takes the sting out of bitterness about bad events. The second kind of happiness in the positive emotion, pleasant life sense, is optimism. I've spent 20 years working on that, and the skills we know about that consist of learning to recognize catastrophic thoughts and learning how to realistically dispute them. And the third and most commonplace view of the pleasant life is the pleasures. And what we know about the pleasures is there are three ways of enhancing the pleasures to get the pleasant life. The first is has to do with the habituation that the pleasures have. All of the pleasures share the following. It's the, like the first taste of French vanilla ice cream. <laughs> first taste is great. Second taste, a few seconds later, is at about 50%. And by the sixth taste, it's cardboard. So the first skill one has to learn about enhancing the pleasures is spacing and varying. The second set of skills, Neil, is savoring, learning to share them with others, learning to take metal photographs, learning to articulate them, learning to take physical souvenirs. And the final technique is what the Buddhists have known far longer than psychologists and mm -hmm. psychiatrists, and that's the technique of mindfulness, being able to look afresh at the pleasures that are happening to you. 
So that's the pleasant life, getting as many of those things as you can and learning the skills outlined in Authentic Happiness to amplify them. And I guess we should get now to those other two levels of um, uh, beyond the, uh, the pleasant life. Neil, let me tell you about my friend Len to illustrate the importance of the pleasant life. There are huge differences from people to people, from person to person, in their ability, probably genetic, to experience pleasure and happiness. Everybody is not smiley and giggly and full of good cheer. Len, for example, is a person who was enormously successful in business and in sports, but never felt positive emotion. When Len wins at these things, he flashes a full half smile and goes up to his room to watch Monday Night Football alone. The area that he fails in is love, and that's because American women want smiley, cheerful, ebullient men. And Len went through five years of Manhattan psychoanalysis to try to find the sexual trauma that had somehow locked happiness, locked pleasure inside of him. There was none. He grew up in Long Island, uneventful childhood. Len is part of the lower 50%, and part is, is the lower 5% in the ability to experience pleasure. But what Len has in full measure is the ability to get completely absorbed, immersed, into flow in his work and his play. And that, those are people we used to consign to unhappiness. But I want to say that the good life, the life of absorption, immersion, recrafting your work, your love, and your play to use your highest skills and achieve flow is a second and major form of happiness. We're going to talk more about the flow later, but uh, might be familiar to those who uh, remember the athletic expression, in the zone. Um, and, and, the, and the third uh, level, the, the meaningful life. Well, let me just say one thing more about the good life, Neil, and that will explain the meaningful life. The reason I call the book Authentic Happiness is there are shortcuts to the pleasant life. There are drugs, loveless sex, TV shopping, and the like. There are no shortcuts to the good life. In order to get the good life, in the sense of being absorbed in what you do, you need to know what your strengths are, your highest strengths are, and then you need to recraft your work, your love relationships, and your play to use them as much as you can. And that leads to the third life, the meaningful life. The meaningful life as I see it is very much like the good life, except it's using the highest strengths you have in the service of something larger than you are. For many people, uh, and you write about this, uh, that is religion. Well, for many people, it's religion. But for many people, there are many things in the human endeavor other than religion which are much larger than the individual. There's politics. There's volunteerism. There's charity. There's the conversation we're having. <laughs> we're talking with Martin Seligman about how a new field of psychology called positive psychology suggests that people focus not on their problems, but developing their signature strengths.